You're listening to The Journey Podcast. The Journey is a college and young adult ministry of Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. So tonight is our last night in our series called Crushing Anxiety. Next week, we're starting a series on dating (laughs) Um, called It's Complicated. Actually, it's not that complicated. And so uh, that'll be next week. Start that little two-week series. That'll be fun. And after that, actually, by the way, two weeks, technically, three weeks from today, our bro, Jonathan Gaines, is going to be preaching. Yeah. Give him a hand. Pumped about that. We just want to build as much anticipation and hype and build him up just as much as we can, right? Set the bar really high for you, bro. That's going to be awesome. Um, Yeah, so tonight we're finishing up Crushing Anxiety. And I hope that as we've been doing this series that you um, have felt like you've got some more tools put in your tool belt to help fight anxiety. Again, this is not like this, we can't give you this one, like, this is the secret weapon to kill anxiety. Like, there, there's, there's not one specific thing, but there's several things God's given us to help fight it and to, to, to actually crush anxiety so it doesn't crush us. And so um, I hope that you've, you've felt that and, again, kind of put some weapons in your arsenal to fight it. And tonight, what we're, kind of the tool that we're talking about, I feel like is incredibly important, incredibly helpful. I was talking even with some of our team this morning, and we really, they may not realize it, but we're kind of talking about what we're talking about tonight. And I think this tool, if you can embrace it, could be incredibly helpful um, as you fight anxiety and you begin to crush that. Um, If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. We'll be in chapter 17 in a second. Um, 1 Samuel 17, going old school for a little bit here. We'll be in a couple different places tonight. What I want to kind of consider tonight is the fact that so much of the anxiety we face and experience in our lives is circumstantial, meaning, like, how's life going? Oh, I'm stressed because fill in the blank, right? There's some circumstance that has stirred up anxiety in your life. So I think about our our now not so new, but our newer freshmen that just starting college, moving, all that kind of stuff can create anxiety. Or maybe those on the other end of the spectrum that have graduated and they're getting to that full-time job, and that creates anxiety. Yeah, like 8 o'clock, eight o'clock every day gets old, right? That can, Brittany, appreciate your enthusiasm. Um, yeah, that circumstances create tension, create anxiety in our lives. I don't know about y'all, I see people sometimes that it appears as though they have like this secret weapon. I don't think there's a secret weapon, but somehow they can face anxiety and their, or sorry, they can face difficult circumstances and their lives, their peace, their joy doesn't seem to be determined by their circumstances. Have you met those people before? Where you're, you're just like, how, how are you, like you're in this mess right now, you're in this situation that I feel like should be causing you a lot of stress, but somehow you have peace and you're still living very bold, you're not living in fear. How is that possible? What, What's giving you the ability, the drive to do that? Hey, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I want to get to that point where I can live where my, my peace is not determined or changed by the circumstance that I'm facing. So we're going to do tonight, we're going to look at three different people who did that, who when you look at their story, all, all their stories are different. But when you look at their stories, they had every reason to be really anxious. And that's like almost a silly way of saying it, like, when we think about the stories, and you're familiar with all these probably, but when you think about what they faced, it seems silly to, like, if we could go back in time and ask them, like, are you nervous about this? Like, like, it doesn't seem like a fair word because their circumstance was so extreme. But even though they faced that, somehow 
they seem to not just have this peace, but have this boldness. Have you ever noticed how anxiety seems to lock you in so you don't do anything, right? Maybe it's something as simple as, like, I was eating at Torchy with uh, Zach and this guy, cool guy named Kevin, cool guy named Kevin. Anyways, this guy uh, named Kevin yesterday, and Kevin had one of those electronic skateboards I'm talking about, which I feel like that's what's wrong with America. <laughs> like, just use your legs, Kevin. Come on, man. <laughs> no offense, guys. Um, or girls. But anyways, and it's funny because like I'm scared to death of skateboards just because I busted my head on one when I was a little kid. But then add to that, that Kevin's got the remote to control how fast I go. No, sir, I don't think so. Right. Um, but because I was scared of what might happen or because I was scared, if I'm honest, of looking like a fool in, in front of torches, right? I was just like, no, I'm not doing that, right? Exactly. Like, come on, bro. And I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, you can't give me enough peer pressure to do this. Um, it's like, let's go to the bar and get you wasted, then you'll do it. No, I didn't say that. Um, oh, well, I'm sorry. I've been saying a lot of weird things today. Anyways, um, it's normal, I guess. But yeah, so often, fear prevents us from being bold. Would you agree with that? Like, anxiety kind of cages us in. And again, you're going to see with all three of these stories, once we get to the end, of, I looked at all three of them, you're going to see this common thread that seems to have, like, helped them to live with this freedom. Not like, oh, care for everything's perfect, but to live with this bold, peace, freedom that helped them break free from anxiety. So the first, if you've, if you've already turned to 1 Samuel 17, you know where we're going. The first is one of the oldest underdog stories there ever has ever been told, we still use this language today, it's the story of who? David and Goliath, yes. So whether you grew up in church or not, um, you're probably somewhat familiar with this story because it really is an epic story. And even last year uh, when the, uh, sorry, I feel like every week I bring up the Jaguars lately. I'm just excited, even though they lost on Sunday. But last year when the Jaguars played the Patriots, talking NFL football, when they played the Patriots for the AFC Championship, the commercial that like, kind of created the hype for the, for the game they reference this story because there is such, there's such a beautiful picture of the underdog versus the, the champion versus the giant. And that's, that's what we see in First Samuel 17. So it's interesting. Scripture actually doesn't, from what I've checked and double-checked, it doesn't actually call Goliath a giant. But as it describes him, he was a, he was a giant. He was a beast of a man. It actually describes him as a champion. So it talks about how big he was, but really the fact that he was a war champion. So like if, you were, if we, they had like on demand back in the day, it would have been like, hey, uh, you need to get tickets to watch this fight because Goliath has never been defeated. And he's not like the heavyweight champion. He's like the big old boy heavyweight champion, right? Like, like this, this dude is huge, okay? It talks about how, even how big his armor was to, to portray how big he was. But again, the fact was that he, he was a champion. And he was the champion of the Philistines. He was kind of their lead fighter. So it says for 40 days, he would come out. So there was this, they were in this valley, and he would stand on the edge of the valley and yell across to the Israelites, and like, hey, who wants some? Who's going to come fight me? Right? He's talking smack. And for 40 days straight, it says the Israelites were scared. It says, I love verse, uh, verse 11 of chapter 17. It says, when they heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. It's like, them boys scared, right? Like, we're not about to mess with Goliath. So if we kind of fast forward the story, again, Philistines like representing paganism and then Israelites representing like God's people, right? So he's challenging God, he's challenging God's people. And if you read the whole story, he's day after day for 40 days taunting the Israelites, not just taunting the Israelites, but taunting their God, ta taunting what we would say is our God, the God of the Bible, right? And saying he's a joke, taunting them. You skip down to like verse 17, you see that David 
um, who was really just a young shepherd boy at the time, had been told to come and take some provisions to uh, his brothers who were out on the battle lines. So I love this. Verse, in verse 23, we see that as he's out there giving provisions to his brothers, it says, behold, the champion, Goliath, came forth like he had always done for 40 days, and he again taunts, like, who's going to come fight me? Who wants some? But I love the end of verse 23. What's it say? And David heard him. Which I love, if this was a movie, like, this would be so epic, right? Is there a David and Goliath movie? VeggieTales. How is there not a David and Goliath movie? Seriously, we need to, well, we're going to make a movie, guys. We all in for that? Let's do it, all right? I'll be Goliath, all right? <laughs> Makes sense. Just kidding. Anyways, so I love this. This is like this epic kind of twist, and just to like coach you in your Bible reading, as you're reading this, I hope you, if you're reading this by yourself, I hope you would sense the tension here. Because again, you should slow down. It's like, and David heard him. Like, th this is a game changer. So for 40 days, it's been going on and on, nothing's happened. But now David, little shepherd boy, he, he hears what this man says. And I love it, because if you keep reading the story, again, I keep referencing verses, like now I'm kind of looking at verses 24 through 27, it's almost, they, they says they're afraid, like always, the Israelites, they're all afraid. But David's response is essentially like to look at the rest of the soldiers, and he's like, do y'all hear this fool? Like, do you hear what he is doing, taunting our God, taunting us? So they begin uh, to talk about it. Well, the, you know, Saul has offered this, whoever kills him. You look down, continue reading the story. It says that when David's brothers were doubting him, like, David, you're just out here because your heart, this sounds like such like a sibling thing, right? Your heart is evil. You're just wicked. You just want to come see the battle. You need to go back home, David, right? Like, you're so messed up. But David's not having that. He's like, no, I, I'm going to fight this dude. He's talking about our God, whom we serve, who is good to us. I'm not going to put up with this. So eventually he gets to go before Saul and kind of explain, hey, I'm ready to fight this fool, uh, Goliath, who keeps talking smack about our God and about us. And I love, this is key, we'll come back to this way later, verse, verse 37, it says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. He's like, good luck, bro, right? Like, go and the Lord be with you. So you know the story. He gets his uh, sling, gets his stones, begins to walk out. And I'm gonna, I just want to read because it's kind of epic. Uh, start in verse 41. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. So again, he's not like jealous, like, man, he looks so good. Like, why can't I look like that? Like, that's not what it is. He disdained him because it's an insult. Goliath is a war champion, right? Like this, this, this is the alpha male. And he sees essentially like a little kid coming out, and he's like, are you kidding me? Like, this is not only insulting, but like, now his attitude is like, I'm going to completely destroy this, this dude because how dare you think he can take me on? He says, verse 43, and the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. <laughs> I love this next part. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, by the way, this is like, he's fixing to do some serious smack talk. This makes Jalen Ramsey look like a joke, like his smack talk. This is nothing. It says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I'm like, dang, chill, bro. 
And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this, excuse me, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. I can't, I just wonder, like, as, as he was saying this, like, were the, were the Israelites like, yeah, David, we believe in you. Or they're like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? <laughs> like, I thought probably the latter, just like, what is he? Like, David, shut up, you're gonna get killed. Like, you're making it worse, right? You know the story. What happened? It wasn't even a fight, right? Like, you can imagine, like, it's a picture Goliath running towards him, and, and I can't help but almost envision, like, the ground almost shaking. And David's just standing his ground. It's that joker right between the eyes, right? And then, like, how epic. Like, not only does he kill him, like, I think on impact when the stone, like, sunk into his forehead. Again, think of this little dude, or, like, average-sized dude running up to this giant of a man, walking up to him, grabbing his sword and cutting off his head. I feel like the Israelites are like, oh, my gosh. Like, do not mess with, like, Jack Bauer meets uh, Jason Bourne. Like, this is, this is. This dude is crazy. Y'all old enough to know who Jack Bauer is? Not really. He's a TV show. Sorry. Anyways, it's not real. <laughs> How does a little shepherd boy who has every reason to be scared to death, to be insecure, like he, he had right, it would have been, we'd have been like, yeah, you're right, bro. You should be scared. You are inferior to him. How does a guy like that live with such bold freedom. And he, I don't think it's, I think it's fair to say he could have been a little anxious, but the text gives no indication that he was scared, like none, none whatsoever. Bold freedom. How do you do it? There's, there's another, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> there's another story Similar but different in Esther. So if you're in 1 Samuel, turn to the right. Several books, but not too far. So Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, if I'm remembering right. If you know the story of Esther, again, about God's people. Esther was a Jew who uh, had become the queen. The, the, the Israelites were in a captivity in a foreign country, and Esther had become the queen. But the king and his people did not know that Esther was a Jew. Well, to fast forward the story, uh, Haman was a very evil man who hated the Jews. And again, I'm very much simplifying the story for the sake of time. But decided he was going to have all the, Ju the Jews killed. So even like put a place in plan with the king. The king didn't really understand, uh, know the full like scope of it. But put a place, in, a plan in place to kill all the Jews. Well, Mordecai, remember, was related to Esther, and he, he realizes, man, if you read, like, really, I think it's starting in verse uh, three, sorry, chapters three and four, he realizes, man, Esther has an end to this situation. She can maybe help solve this situation from the inside out, right? Because she's, she's the queen, so maybe she could impact the king to reverse this edict that, so the Jews would not be killed. So when he first Gets again, this is all like through code and through people and like all these like spies, maybe not spies, but like code stuff, really kind of uh, again, it would be make a great movie. Um, so 
he gets word to Esther to go and, and say, hey, you need to talk to the king, explain to him what's going on so that he won't, he won't do this. He'll reverse this edict. The Jews won't be killed. And she responds, again, totally understandable. She responds, hey, if I just go before the king without him calling me because the way the rules were in that land, the king can, Esther's saying, the king can just kill me on the spot. Like he could just give a look to one of his dudes and then come chop my head off. Like, so Mordecai, uh, I'm not sure I want to do that. <laughs> Which I say, Esther, that seems fair. Like, that seems reasonable. Like, that seems like a reasonable reason to be a little anxious and a little fearful, right? Because you may lose your life. Look with me at verse 14. This is Mordecai's response to Esther, again, through, through his assistants and all these secret spy people. <laughs> Verse 13, then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think, sorry, I'm in verse 13. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace, you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then if you read on, Esther ultimately says, all right, I'm going to do it. And what I love verse 16, kind of a famous verse of this story. She says, then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. I love this story because up to this point, Esther had been so passive in her, we'll say, faith. So passive. Something happened where she went from passive and like, well, you know, there's a lot at stake to saying, you know what? Even if I perish, I'm going to do this. How does a person, a young gal who has everything going her way, she's the queen, she's a comfortable life. The reality is she probably could have, like, even if the edict to kill all the Jews had been carried out, she probably could have, like, survived that and not, like, again, kept her identity a secret could live a comfortable life, but was willing to say, you know what, even if I perish, I'm willing to do this thing. I'm not going to be held captive by anxiety and fear of what, what if this happens, but I'm going to be bold. Think about, so again, if you read the story, she eventually, she did go before the king. And again, in that moment when she went and stood before the king, he could have been like, hey, killer, which again, like, man, what a great relationship, right? <laughs> um, or what happened, he, he actually said, yeah, let's, let's talk. He invited her in. But think about how terrifying that step would have been. Like, I don't know exactly what it was like, but if, I'm assuming maybe there was like a certain point or like line that you crossed where you had presented yourself before the king without him asking, think about that final step. Like, I can just imagine Esther's heart beating out of her chest, right? As she knows, all right, this next step, the king can choose life or death for me. And then I'm sure her heart got faster as she took the last step, right? How do you go from being passive to active? How do you go from being held captive by fear and anxiety because of the circumstance you're in, pretty serious circumstance, to say, no, something's going to drive me past my circumstances to live in a, this bold, peaceful freedom? And there's one more dude. I said we had three stories. Before we got to kind of our idea, our big truth for the night. There's one more dude in scripture, probably a lot, but one we're going to look at 
that I feel like took a lot of those steps of, I'm going to take this step and something terrible could happen, but I'm going to take it anyways, and that was the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to Philippians. If you've been around here for a while, you know I love Philippians, so we'll, when we do topical stuff like this, we'll probably end up there a lot. <laughs> Philippians, and we're going we're gonna to check out chapter 1. I'll give you a second to get there, because jump into the New Testament. If you're having trouble, it's after Ephesians and um, before Colossians. Philippians chapter 1. Now, before we read some of this, I want us to think about Paul's situation. When Paul wrote Philippians, was he in like a really great situation, really cozy and comfy? No, where was he? He was in prison, right? Keep in mind, like, first century prison, so probably not a place to go and play football. Or I'm not, like, trying to be, like, silly. But really, like, this was not a first century prison. I'm sorry. This was a first century prison. So um, as bad as prison is today, like, much worse, right? Um, First century prison. And let's think about why was he in prison? Was it because he had, like, gone out and broken the law? Well, I guess in a sense he had kind of broken the law. But, like, was it because he had been doing really mean, hate-filled things? No, what was he in prison for? Yeah, for the gospel, which again, like, blows my mind thinking about, because we're like, the whole, there's this whole prosperity gospel movement, right, of like, if you just believe in God, everything will go your way. Clearly that wasn't true in the Bible, right? Paul's doing what he's supposed to do, living for the kingdom, advancing the gospel, and the dude is in prison for that very reason, right? In prison for the king, in prison for the kingdom, and his mindset in Philippians blows my mind. We're just going to read a few verses. Let's check out. Man, it's just worth this. Jump into verse 12. So he's writing Philippians. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, and that being that he's in prison, has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. (laughs) What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Man, here's a dude in prison because of the gospel. And he's excited about being in prison because he's like, hey, you know what? I'm in prison, but people are hearing about Jesus. Isn't that cool? Which I thought he was like saying that to, like, if he was in here saying that, I would be like, dude, do you hear yourself right now? Like, like, it, like it's cool, but it also almost seems crazy. Like, he's so excited about people hearing the gospel. And then even while he's in prison, he says, you know, wh- whether I live or whether I die, it's all good because why? For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So again, here's a man who's been doing the right things, but his situation is terrible. And yet he lives with peace 
and with joy and with boldness. How did they do it? All three of them had every reason to be anxious, to be fear-filled, and to be frozen in worry. But all three of them seemed to be bold and free and live with a peace and a courage that almost can't be explained. So here's my question. And there could be like, you could look at this a couple different ways, probably. What is the common thread through their lives? God, yes. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, well, in my head, I was like, do I want them to really answer? And I, yeah, since you opened it up, Q1, let's go for it. <laughs> yeah, no, so, yeah, let's, let's not be rhetorical. What, um, what's the common thread? Sorry, what? Faith, absolutely. Let's unpack that a little more. Okay, Jesus, yes, absolutely. I'm laughing because JT, somebody said that earlier. I knew we'd come back to it. Yes, Jesus, yes, let's unpack that more. Jessica, I feel like, I feel like you want to say something. Yes! I feel like you looked at my notes. Stop doing that. <laughs> yeah. They're, they found their higher purpose in God, right? I, I'm just going to go ahead and say this, and then we'll unpack it a little more. When you find your greatest pleasure and your greatest purpose in Jesus it begins to set you free from anxiety. Here, here's how. Or let's, first, let's back up and think about it. David, absolutely, if you read the Psalms, if you read 1 Samuel 17, it's obvious he had a passion for God, right? A love for God. Again, like, who's this fool talking about our God? Like, we're not going to let him do that, right? A passion for God and a purpose for God to, again, the, the, David kept saying, hey, y'all are going to see that our God is the real God. He had a purpose for God's glory to be known. And so you know what? It was almost like fear had no room to be in his life, right? Because his passion for God, his, his delight in God, and really you could say, again, his purpose in God being known was so much heavier than the fear he might have faced, which is like from a worldly perspective, from our human limited mindset, doesn't quite make sense except for his faith drove out the fear, right? Greatest pleasure and purpose is in God. Man, that fear has no room. Are you all with me? Think about Esther. I think maybe it's like maybe not quite as clear with Esther, but I think you can see it, that she reached a point. I love what, what Mordecai said to her. Hey, who knows if you haven't been raised up in the kingdom for such a time as this? Meaning, Esther, how do we not know that God has put you in place as the queen for this very, I just spit everywhere, sorry, for this very reason, that he has a purpose for you. And his and again, his purpose is not just for you to be comfortable and hang out in your castle or whatever they would have lived in, but your purpose is to help rescue his people. I think she got a glimpse of that. And when she found her greatest pleasure and purpose in God, it began to drive down the fear, right? Because when you begin to live from a deeper place, I love what you said, Jessica, of identity in God and who I am as his child, like we sang about earlier, it begins to drive out fear because your faith in Christ and your love for him and your purpose and found in him begins to push out the fear. And the same thing for Paul. 
Dude, the dude was so in love with Jesus. He says, you know what? I don't care if I live or die. It's all good because if I live, I get to experience Christ here and I get to be on mission for him and get to share the gospel with him, which is what I live for. It's amazing. It brings me so much joy and satisfaction. And if you kill me, well, then I just get to be with Jesus, like quite literally. So, I mean, hey, like you can't, how can you win against a guy like that, right? You can't, you can't beat a guy like that. Like, well, whatever. <laughs> when you find your greatest pleasure, your greatest purpose in Jesus, it begins to set you free from anxiety. It begins to push it out. Make it say it this way. Eyes in brings anxiety. Eyes up and out brings freedom. When I'm focused on self and living for my little world, it brings anxiety. When I focus on God and who he is and delight in him, and when I focus on other people, it begins to bring this bold, peace-filled freedom. And I want to, again, to kind of like further see from their stories, see from their lives. Think about David. David did not go, like I love that like the men were trying to tell him, yeah, if you kill him, you get Saul's daughter, you get all this. And David wasn't like, oh, dang, she's fine. Okay, I'll go fight him. Like, that is not what happened, right? It wasn't like, oh, that's a lot of money. Like, I'm going to go do that. That was not, the text shows this, that was not on his radar. He wasn't like, how much money? Okay, sweet. That was not the issue for him. The issue was a passion for God. Listen, when you get passionate about God, you start to do what, are, what is perceived as something crazy. That, I said that really, like, that wasn't good English. But when you begin to live passionately for God, people may think you're crazy <laughs> because begins to drive out fear. You don't care what people think. You don't care about defeat. You just care about delighting in and magnifying God. Y'all with me? So again, I don't think earthly rewards can make you do that kind of thing. I think only passion for God can do that. Think about Esther. She wasn't like, there was, there's no, I keep kicking this water bottle. <laughs> there's no inclination from the text that Esther was like, you know, my life's just not that great anyway, so if I die, I die. <laughs> That's not what it was. Like, well, Life sucks here on earth. <laughs> like, no, that was not it. It was a greater purpose of, man, God has me here for a reason. And what if, just what if God rescues his people through me? And it drove her to do something great. Again, not to live in fear and anxiety, but it drove her to, drove her to do something great. Paul, again, kind of similarly, he wasn't like, well, this is just my lot in life. I guess I'm just in prison. Stinks to be me. No. He saw an opportunity that, man, God's at work here. God's helping me share the gospel with these soldiers and with these other prisoners. Now the gospel is going forward in Rome. And, man, I get, to, I get to enjoy God's presence in this prison. If they do kill me, I get to enjoy God's presence in heaven. It's all good. When you find your greatest pleasure and your greatest purpose in Jesus, those things begin to drive out anxiety. There's no room for it in, in your life. It begins to drive it out. Again, eyes in brings anxiety. Eyes up and out brings freedom. Now, if I stopped here, there, you'd probably feel like, oh, yeah, Durr, go do it. And that would not be helpful, right? Like the, uh, the, the end of the talk is not just so be more awesome, love God more, be like Paul. No, that, we're not going to stop there. Real quick, I think there are pretty clearly three things, I'll, this will be super quick, from their lives that help us to find our greatest pleasure and purpose in God, which drives out anxiety. Here's what I'd say about King David. I'm not going to have this on the screen because I don't, I don't think of them any cute, clever ways to say it. It's just kind of a simple point, simple fact. We know from the Psalms that King David spent time with God. And not just like checklists, like read uh, my five verses for the day, check, moving on. No, like he delighted in God, right? 
The Psalms say, in Psalms, King David said, I, God, I, I long for you. I pant for you like a deer pants for water. I want to know you. I want to be in your presence. King David, he spent time with God, right? Quality time with God. When you begin to spend time with God, man, it drives that love for him, that passion for him. You begin to find your purpose for him. Because then you wake up in the morning and you're not just like, what, am I, what do I do today? What do I want to do? No, you begin to realize, man, God has a plan for me today. I'm here on this campus or at this job, in this dorm, or in this apartment for a reason. God has me here for a reason. I'm going to begin to live that out, right? Which just brings us to Esther. I think part of how Esther saw that. So again, first one was spending time with God. I think with Esther... She had a Mordecai in her life to push her when she was kind of wanting to stay boxed in in her fear, right? Because she says, hey, Mordecai, tell Mordecai, I'm, he, like, the king could kill me if I do that. I don't know about that. And Mordecai was willing to push her and say, hey, Esther, I get that, but what if, what if God has a bigger plan for you? So here's the second thing. All of us need someone in our life to push us to do hard things, <laughs> to push us, to challenge us in our faith. So maybe that's your connect group leader. Maybe that's somebody in your trail team. Uh, maybe that's me. I don't know who that is, but someone to push you and, and help you grow in your faith. And the third thing, here's what I'd say about Paul. So for, again, first thing, spend time with God. Second thing, you need someone to push you. And the third thing I think we see from Paul, he was obsessed with the gospel. Paul never got over God's love for him as displayed on the cross obsessed with the gospel. When you are in awe of the fact of, of, that Jesus died for you, even though we're all messed up sinners, that drives you to love for him and to say, God, I want to live for you. Those three things, spending time with him, having someone push you to not live in fear, not be caged in by your fear, and, and being obsessed with the gospel, those help you find your pleasure and purpose in Jesus, which, again, helps drive out anxiety. A band's going to come on up, and here's kind of the thought I want to leave us with. What I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is, hey, if you struggle with anxiety, it's because you're self-centered. <laughs> not saying that. Only that's what these stories are telling us. But I do think we learn from these stories, almost like inadvertently, like flipping upside down, is that self-centeredness, self-pleasure, self-purpose, life is all about me, drive anxiety, drive fear-filled living. When your eyes are always inward, it becomes this like bubbly, messed up, self-absorbed worry, right? I was telling our team today, when I turn my eyes upward towards God and outwards towards other people, I, I mean, I'm telling you, like, as your pastor, and I feel like you're, like, feeling like your friend sometimes more than your pastor. I don't know if that's good or bad, but, like, as your bro in Christ, I want to tell you, I mean this. I experienced this last night and this morning. I feel like something genuinely and literally physically happens when I'm feeling anxious and kind of caught up on myself, and when I turn my eyes from myself and begin to like just talk with God about, man, God, thank you for this, appreciate this, and start to pray for other people, I literally feel the anxiety kind of roll off. <laughs> because when I find my pleasure and purpose in him, fear has no place, right? He's too big for that. <laughs> he just kind of like shoves it out, I believe. 
So what if you started living your life by finding your greatest pleasure and purpose in him and saying, I'm not going to play the what if game of like, God, God, what if this happens? So I'm scared. What if this happens? What if I face, God, what if I face failure or defeat? Or God, what if I'm rejected? Or what if I'm uncomfortable? What if we quit playing that what if game and started saying, what if God did something crazy? What if God changed my life? What if God used me to change their life? What if God used me to bring, it's gonna be scary to like be bold and to share my faith, but what if God used me to bring them to salvation? What if God did something simple but extraordinary in my life? What if? What if we quit living with eyes in and started living with eyes up and out? I think we just might. We just might begin to crush anxiety. When you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus, he begins to set you free from anxiety. I want to challenge you and I want to challenge me to begin to do that. Y'all pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word. Thank you for examples in scripture. There's so many people who messed up and do, did stupid things like us. So that's encouraging. But God, it's also encouraging to read stories of people who killed it. <laughs> who, yes, they had their failures on perfect, but man, it's cool to read about people who were used by you, God, to do big things, who weren't boxed in by anxiety and fear. So God, help us to, to be encouraged by them, to be challenged by them, and to find freedom tonight, God, as we find our greatest pleasure and purpose in you. God, we, we trust and know that you crush anxiety in our lives. So we look to you. So then we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to The Journey Podcast. You can learn more about The Journey by checking us out on Instagram or Facebook. Just search for at the journey LBK.